Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. online the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action bet online has you covered for all the news scores and odds it's the best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online your online sports book experts all right folks this is uh, jeremy evans your host of the believe in sports law podcast via the Believe Podcast Network. This is episode 19 of season three. And today is uh, Monday, May 10th, 2021. We have a very, very special guest with us today. He is the founder and manager, managing director at EGEN uh, Esports. It's an agency and consultancy group based out of uh, Sydney, Australia. Uh, a wonderful gentleman, his name is Brad Timmons. Uh, Brad, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Jeremy. Lovely to meet you. So you were telling me it's seven o'clock in the morning there. It's uh, two. It's uh, two o'clock in the afternoon here. Um, so, Brad, tell us a little bit about EGen Esports. Obviously, this is a very well-known agency. Um, it's something that obviously you founded and you're the director of. Tell us a little bit about um, what EGen Sports is and and kind of what you do. Yeah, sure. So um, essentially, we're a gaming and esports consultancy business that, that helps audience companies and non-endemic video game brands essentially get in, in, into the video game industry, whether that's in esports, whether that's in, in, in the gaming side of it or the content creation side. Um, we were founded four and a half years ago by myself and a couple of my um, business partners who have all come from sports marketing backgrounds. I used to head up a, um, a, a very big audience company called Seven West Media in Australia. I used to head up their integration division. So um, integrating across key sporting assets, key general entertainment assets. And obviously everybody's just been seeing this wave of video games and esports on the rise. So we came in at a good time. Um, I think we probably came in a little early because uh, these last two years in particular have really spiked, um, obviously post-pandemic. But um, yeah, it's been it's been kind of a wild ride, and we've been working with you know a bunch of different brands all over the world. So it's been um, it's been a very fun but very fast four years. Wow, you know it's it's funny, uh, Brad. You I saw something on your profile which which I loved, and uh, I'm going to quote here. Uh, when you're talking about eGen, it says eGen is a fully dedicated esports consultancy group. And then it goes on and it says, we are the first of our kind offering 100% dedication to all facets of the esports industry. But you also go on and you, and you say that, you know, sort of esports has been around for ages, but it's just now that brands and broadcasters and sports teams are starting to talk about it and starting to notice it. Maybe talk a little bit about that. What, what do you think changed? Because obviously esports um, is this huge industry. So maybe tell us a little bit about what esports is. Obviously, you and I know what it is, but um, what is esports and sort of what do you think changed uh, with regard to why is it such a big deal now? 
Yeah, I think um, esports from a competitive standpoint, we, we tend to call esports the tip of the gaming spear. So it's like the most competitive, the most professional and the best players, I guess, in its most basic sense. And I think markets like South Korea have been running, you know, esports 24 hour broadcast networks for the last, you know, 15 to 20 years. So it isn't new in Eastern markets, but Western markets have still been catching up. And I think, you know, we also call gamers, generally speaking, um, like a silent majority. They don't necessarily have to go out and tout, you know, that's my favorite team or this is what game I play anywhere near the same way as um, like take the NCAA, for example. If you're if you're a, a high school kid that's wanting to become part of the NBA, you have to be in a great college. Um, everybody knows that you're, you know, you're that that superstar. And it's just a bit of a different vibe. But I think what's happened now with sport blending into esports and gaming is you've got these traditional sports stars, uh, organizations, codes now just going, wow, this is taking a lot of attention economy away from my traditional sport. So we can do one of two things. We can ignore it and carry on and median ages of more traditional sports are getting older on, on the rise or the more progressive um, codes and players within those codes. And I, I use NBA as a fantastic example um, are really embracing it. You've got guys like Stephen Curry and Kevin Durant that are investing heavily in esports organizations. Um, and they're, they're doing that for a couple of reasons. One, because the money is there, but two, it makes them cool. And I think they're, you know, spanning out into a broader fan base by accepting and getting into the, the, the gaming and esports industry. Wow. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting. Cause it's, I remember, um, I was teaching an adjunct class. This was probably, I don't know, five, six years ago. I remember one of the students writing a paper on esports, And at the time I was like, what is esports, Right. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. but then as I began to research it, I said, oh my gosh, this is huge. And, yeah. and, and to your point, I mean, in Korea and other places around the world, I mean, this has been something that's going on for a long time. And now as there's money going into it and people are investing in it, uh, this is becoming, um, and, and, and really is a, a huge billion dollar industry. Mm -hmm. So sort of to that point, Brad, where, where do you kind of see, um, do you see some consolidation in the industry coming? You see maybe leagues coming together, maybe forming more of a traditional like uh, monopoly approach as to sort of other leagues have done around the world, like the NFL or major league baseball. Yeah. It's, it, it's so tricky because um, like esports generally is a grouping term for a bunch of different video games. But the problem is there's so many different developers around the world running their own esports programs. So in order for you to try and unify or have an overarching body like an IOC, like a FIFA or a you know a NBA commission, um, it's really complicated because the developers all have their own business objectives and you know they're they're all trying to make money um, by doing their own, I guess their own DNA and infrastructure around their particular game. Um, there are some interesting discussions being had around esports becoming um, an Olympic sport, um, which I think would be really cool. Um, the problem is, it's like, which game is it going to be then? <laughs> so it, it is really hard to sort of unify it in, in, in a traditional sports sense. The other really important thing I would say is that gaming fandom is very different to sports fandom in a sense that if you like the NBA and you like basketball, then generally speaking, and of, of course I'm generalizing, you're going to be a basketball fan for life. The problem is if you play a video game in 2020 and it's super popular being played by half a billion people, and that's the only, only game that you're playing and you absolutely love it. If a new video game comes out six months later, 
um, you know, you can switch fandom and, and you see audiences drop off on the game. You see audiences drop off on YouTube views. You see audiences drop off on Twitch live streams of that particular title. So gaming fandom is, is obviously massive, but it's also quite disparate and also really flippant. So people will be like, I love this game right now. And it's passe the, the week, the week later. So for investors, like whether that's VC or corporate brands or audience companies to get behind games, um, that's also a challenge in their own right, especially if you're looking at long-term deal structures, because, you know, as I said, a game might be super popular now and then within six months, it drops off the face of the earth. So it's a, um, it's, it's a very tricky industry to tra- traverse from an investment standpoint. Right. And, you know, to your point, uh, Brad, you know, it's so interesting because, you know, you think about a basketball game, you think about a football game, the players change, but the game stays the same right? Mm-hmm. The rules stay the same. But I think that's one of the fascinating things about esports is that the game could change for anything. I mean, when you're talking about the Olympics, it could be, well, maybe, you know, in this four year iteration, it's, you know, it's call of duty or it's uh, another esport game. It's um, you know, whatever it might be. Right. But mm-hmm. then it could be that in the, in the next four year iteration, it's something completely different. So, yeah. Absolutely. And of course, and of course, for esports, it doesn't have to be even, and not is not necessarily a, a sports game. It could be a fighting game or what have you, right? Yeah, and, and I think that's the other thing about game ranks popularity is that there's sports titles like FIFA and NBA 2K, which we tend to sort of call more like a sports simulator um, rather than a hardcore esport, because games like League of Legends in China, you know, they're they're doing sponsorship deals with you know, tier one brands like KFC, like Nike, um, you know, for 25 million plus. And, and, and they're doing that because the population and popularity of a game like League of Legends is there to be able to do that. So when you're thinking of, and then you, and then you look at what Fortnite's doing, and I'm not sure how far across you are about Fortnite's metaverse and how they're just blending culture in that game. And it's, you know, it's just doing an unbelievable job. Those titles, in my opinion, would be more relevant for, an esports competition going into a traditional format like the Olympics than say a FIFA or, or, or an NBA 2K. Right. And it makes sense to mix it up too, right? Cause you know, even though you're talking about sports with the Olympics, it would be kind of cool to see like a Fortnite where you could have culture and you are so right about the culture aspect there. Um, you know, you could talk about all kinds of uh, not to get into the weeds, but NFTs and name image and likeness sort of things with mm-hmm. regard to, um, you know, all kinds of talent that could be involved in those games with, with sort of the digitalization of things, but also with regard to um, the talent itself, you know, the, the gamers. So it's a fascinating industry. Yeah, it, it is. And, and, and we are really picking up on this, on this culture piece. It's, you know, traditional sports and esports and gaming, action sports, music combining, and then all of that happening in a digital world and in a physical world is pretty crazy. So like digital merchandise in Fortnite from, you know, uh, skins and in-game cosmetics, that's where they're making the bulk of the money from a gaming developer standpoint. Call of Duty is doing a brilliant job of, of that as well at the moment. Um, and, and you're now starting to find, you know, all of these new pieces of tech, like, you know, blockchain enabled and NFTs, as you mentioned, now going, well, the most obvious starting point for us to sort of launch our businesses is in a video game sphere, because it's already highly digital. The kids are super sophisticated. 
I say kids, I'm, I'm 42, so I can say that. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing on people, anybody, anybody under the age of 40 when I say that. But um, yeah, so it's just, it's a fantastic proving ground for these new forms of technology. And, you know, it's, it's, it's funny to see these financial worlds, VC worlds now blending into gaming so much quicker than, you know, has been in the last two years. It's, it's kind of wild. Right. And then, you know, one last point on that, uh, and we'll change gears a little bit, is this idea that it's so funny, you know, education is now starting to come around and I'm starting to hear a lot of and seeing a lot of programs come out from schools with regards to esports and starting esports programs and having esports teams and having training and education in that. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's sort of fascinating to see that. And of course, esports is not uh, regulated by the NCAA. So a lot of these um, gamers in college are able to sort of take on sponsorships and brand partnerships and not have to deal with, you know, eligibility issues, right? Yeah, and, 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 and that's only going to get bigger and bigger. I mean, again, in, in, in Eastern markets in China, there's a, there's a place in Guangzhou called Esports Town, which is a university that has scholarships and it's got full um you know uh, curriculum in relation to um very specific titles so if i want to be a dota 2 pro i can go in and get um you know a a complete education around that particular title um you you hit it on the head before about the, the ncaa and the rules and regulations around sponsorship that doesn't exist and i can't see esports and gaming really fitting into a structure like the NCAA. Again, from my point before, based on developers having their own rule set, their own laws around their title, why would they go ahead and sort of partner with one body um, on that when there's a multitude of, there's too many too many executives and too many stakeholders at hand to actually make that work. Um, but that does create an interesting juncture, right? Because you've got high school kids that are getting into, into university that can't make sponsorship dollars in a traditional sports sense do you take that decision and go and do it in gaming because it's a faster path to revenue generating or a salary and, 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 and maybe that's the case. And I guess the, the, the funny other point on that is the amount of professional sports stars that play um, games at a significantly high level is not even true. You know, fantastic hand-eye coordination, quick reflexes, um, got the, you know, the, the, the sort of killer mentality that what it takes to be in traditional sports at the highest level. So why wouldn't they transition into, um, into, into esports and gaming in the same way? We know um, Ben Simmons, um, another Aussie guy, uh, obviously an amazing player for the 76ers, plays PUBG at a ridiculously high level. So we're seeing this sort of blend of traditional sports talent also being like super amazing at, um, at video games also. Right. And, you know, to your point, Brad, I mean, it, it, it also similar to like name, image and likeness where the value is determined not by sport or gender, but it's really determined by market in terms of how much of a following do you have? So esports in, in many ways kind of works the same way in that um, maybe you're, you know, you don't have the best jump shot or the best kick or, um, you know, the best pass. Uh, in terms of physical, but, you know, as a, as a gamer, maybe you're the best gamer in the world. So just another opportunity, right? Yeah. There's this uh, Twitch, Twitch talk about this quite a lot. They, they've got uh, two different types of content creators that go onto their platform from a gaming and esports standpoint. I, I love this. Um, one is the jester. So they're the guys that are hugely entertaining being followed by millions of people and just produce really amazing content on a day by day basis to your point, they might not be the best at that game, but they're 
are clearly the most engaging. And then you get knights and these guys aren't that entertaining or girls. They are just playing the game at such a ridiculously high level that people watch them to pick up on tips and, and just to watch the best game play in the world. And, and then there's people like in the middle, which we tend to call unicorns like Ninja, who can play at a ridiculously high level, be super highly engaging and entertaining. And there's just like, there's not many of those around the world. Those sorts of guys and girls are the, the, the people that are real like trail, trailblazing commercial deals and, um, you know, and revenue generating within the industry. Wow. Yeah, no, you're totally right. I think you nailed it on the head there. So Brad, let's go, I want to go back a little bit and uh, tell us a little bit about how you got your start into sports and, and specifically esports. What was your, you know, what kind of, what was your pathway there? Sure. Um, so it's, it's quite funny. I've, I've been a, I've been a video game kid since day one. So I had the first Nintendo when I was four and then pretty much I've had um, a, a console every single new console since that time. Um, one of the biggest moments was when I got my first Xbox as a teenager, that was when, you know, video games starting to get, you know, much more developed from a, you know, technological and graphical standpoint. Um, and it's always been a passion of mine um, on, on the side as I was starting my, my work career. So I worked in broadcast media, print media um, and digital media for 15 years with a big corporation over here, Seven West. Um, and, the, the division that I, that I ran was an integration team. So we were allowed to take a lot of creative flex, um, offer a lot of consumer insights to lead different pathways for sponsors essentially into our, into our formats. Now there were existing formats. So like uh, general entertainment programming, we, we were an Olympic network. So we were part of the Olympic sponsorship deals um, and then also traditional sports. So I obviously gravitated um, being a, a big sports fan to the sports division and, and trying to get sponsors into that team. Um, but it was always kind of wild to me that there was this like church and state relationship of linear broadcast companies and digital broadcast companies and what sort of content that they would kind of broadcast on a day-to-day -day basis. And at the same time, obviously Twitch had be, you know, continued to grow year after year after year. YouTube gaming came out. Um, so I, I, I started pitching in some esports and gaming programming ideas to the broadcast partner that I was working with. Um, and by proxy, we started getting uh, much closer to developers. So um, we worked with a guy called Chris Davies, um, ex-CEO of Blizzard um, ANZ, um, around some programming because they were bringing uh, Overwatch, which was a new title for them um, in 2016, um, down here to um, have a World Cup stop. And then we just started continuing to hone this product, which was a gaming and esports program called Screenplay. So we ran that program successfully for two years on the network. Um, and then, you know, I was, I was 15 years into a career, which I had the best experience possible. I was seeing where the world was going from a gaming and esports perspective, from an audience standpoint and, um, scarily actually coming from a corporate job for 15 years, um, took the plunge and setting this business up. And, um, it's been a pretty wild four years. I have to say it's been sort of up and down and left and right as, as, as any startup is, but the last two to two and a half years in particular have just been flying. I think um, post pandemic, um, you know, we're talking, we're talking serious numbers now, like 11,000 billion minutes were watched on Twitch last year, 150 million um, monthly active users and 190 million 
Um, we're doing a massive campaign with a, a big cosmetic brand um, out of the US, which you, you would have probably heard of, Elf. Um, we've partnered them with TikTok on this um, global game program called TikTok Gamers Got Talent. And um, I just checked this morning, that initiative that we've partnered Elf with has already had 9.5 billion views on TikTok since last Wednesday. So gaming, <laughs> gaming is here. It's not going anywhere. It's blending into a lot more of the traditional pop culture as well as the non-traditional. Um, and, um, and, and I guess that in, that in, that in a couple of minutes has been my journey so far. That's great. No, thanks Brad for sharing that. It's, uh, fascinating. And then, so your sort of role from going from being from, uh, you know, passionate about being, you know, being in gaming and uh, getting your vol- involvement in media. I mean, obviously things are pre- have prepared you for your current role, um, which is sort of founder and managing director of EGEN. So, uh, in that role, can you talk a little bit about what you do in that role, and then what services does uh, EGEN provide? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the um, intro on that. We 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 do everything from insight. So we do a lot of qualitative and quantitative research um, that ultimately derives strategy. There, there is no one size fits all for a brand getting into into video games or gaming and esports. And gone are the days of buying a pre roll and putting a logo on a jersey and expecting to get your return on investment. In particular, from a from a gaming audience because they're so savvy with commercial partners getting into into their industry. So we do a lot of qual and a lot of quantitative research. And that would typically lead one of three pathways or, or all three of these pathways. The first is what's the right creative content um, and talent alignments, which we should be trying to look uh, to help brands get into. What are the commercial rights and intellectual property that we can try and help craft? And, and, and going back to ELF, um, we're launching a major female empowerment gaming program um, on Sunday, actually, um, to coincide with your, with your Mother's Day called Elf U, which is a, a female empowerment program that's going to induct seven um, up and coming female content creators into a cohort um, where they'll be paid um, to stream for Elf. They'll get aligned with some of the biggest female content creators in the world because um, Elf are already aligned with um, talent like Luzafruit. She's the second biggest female content creator in the world from a gaming standpoint. And, and, and that creation of IP is going to help brands like Elf and many others have a long-standing relationship in gaming. And that's what EGEN really specializes in. What's your stake in the ground? How can you be here for a long period of time because gaming isn't going anywhere? And how can we deliver that end to end? Um, and then the last module that we would tend to work on is business intelligence. So how does that um, dynamically change the structure of the way that your business operates because you're better equipped to understand gaming and esports? That could be, for example, um, a HR program that rewards gamers that like playing video games and you get some time off. You could have an internal esports competition. We ran a, um, a, an esports competition in the Middle East. Um, and we started uh, that competition as a HR and staffing program to test it as a beta before we went consumer facing. So they're the kind of four um, key modules of the business. But in, in a nutshell, it's just trying to help audience, audience and brand companies get into the industry and stay there as long as possible because it, it helps the ecosystem grow. I love that. So from the maybe two last questions for you. So from the, from the sort of obviously bringing brands and media companies along, which is great uh, and not something that you, um, that is, that you normally see. I mean, which is great. Cause you've, I think you've really found a, a niche and a space to, to connect brands uh, and audiences uh, to gaming and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Does, does EGEN represent talent individually or, um, or not so much? 
We've got um, we've got strategic partnerships with some of the biggest um, talent uh, agencies and consortiums in the world. We don't manage them first party. It's almost like second party. So we would negotiate with the talent management groups on behalf of the brands that we're representing um, to negotiate the deals and outputs of that that have largely been led from our strategy. So I think the key is we're not an intermediary where we would hand over a talent to the brand and not have a strategy. We would have fully baked and developed what the ideas are, what sort of content we're looking from, and obviously done a lot of research to ensure that the talent has the same brand values of the company that we're aligning them with. And then we sort of fulfill that via the, the talent management company that we've seconded the talent from. I love that. You know, and it's Brad, that's funny because that's similar to my business, you know, right? Because I'm not an agent, but I work a lot of times with agents and agencies in terms of bringing talent and brands and companies together. And, and in some sense, it's, it's a little bit like what WME does. And, yeah. you know, them going public, I think really highlighted that is that they're not just a talent agency. They're, they're really, um, can't really use this word in Hollywood anymore, but uh, they're really a packaging agency, right? And yeah. so, um, but that's really what they're doing is you're saying, we have all this talent, we have all this knowledge, let's bring it together to make a better product. So um, mm. I love that. And it sounds like that's what eGen is doing too. And, um, and for all the folks out there, it's an easy website to find. It's, uh, it's egensports.com. And it's, it's a great and beautiful website, by the way. Uh, very clean and very clear. And maybe, maybe I'm just saying that because that's similar to mine, but <laughs> I definitely like it. So I think, I think with websites, anonymity is key. Would much prefer to talk to brands and talk to partners individually because um, as I said up top, we're not a cookie cutter agency where, you know, you can, you can buy this for that. We, we tend to make everything bespoke and, and that's just required in gaming. I've seen a lot of brands enter the industry quite lazy and, and a little bit obvious and they've come in and com come out as quickly as they've sort of opened the door, they've shut it. So again, it's just that, um, that, uh, you know, personal solution that we, we like to try and take that lens. I love that. And then Brad, so appreciate again, your time with us today. I have one last question for you and then we'll let you go. Sure. What are your thoughts on sort of the future of entertainment media in sports? Like what, what do you kind of see on the horizon happening, whether it be in esports or beyond? Yeah, all, all, we're, all we're seeing is closeness, right? So entertainment, uh, gaming, sport, pop culture, social platforms, they're all getting closer to one another. And if you don't have a strategy across all of them um, and finding those connective tissues between those different forms of entertainment, um, you're kind of already dead. And, and I think, you know, platforms like TikTok are, are showing how these different types of culture can blend in with one another. Um, we're seeing it on a consumer, uh, consumer basis. So it's still so surprising to me that you're going to get a, a, say it's a telecommunication company buying and spending a ton of dough on an NFL ad. And then they'll do an esports and gaming ad and then they'll do a music ad and they all look completely different when in fact you're just talking to brad or you're just talking to jeremy as a consumer you like you like football you like esports you like um you know going for a surf and you sure as hell like music so why wouldn't you try and find ways to connect all of those forms of pop culture together um in order for you to connect with you know a, a consumer on a more one-to-one -one basis um, because it's what's happening. So that's, that's what's exciting for me is brands are finally getting up to speed with what consumers are doing. Um, and we're hoping to, you know, try and help some of that as well. I love that. Now that's a really good synopsis of, of what's happening, right? I think you're, to your point, a very salient point, if you do not have a strategy across all platforms and have some connectivity to it, 
uh, like you said, I think you're already dead. Um, so really good points, Brad, appreciate you being with us today, all the way from Sydney, Australia. And uh, again, everybody, this is Brad Timmons. He's the founder and managing director at EGEN Esports, a consultancy and agency, uh, for brands and, uh, media companies. So Brad, again, thanks for being with us today and uh, look forward to being back with you very soon. It's a pleasure, Jeremy. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. So that was Brad Timmons. Uh, this is uh, Jeremy Evans, your host of the Believe in Sports Law podcast via the Believe Podcast Network. Look forward to being back with you next week and always appreciate you listening in. Thank you. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.